0: Hey everybody, welcome back to That's Gotta Be Wrestling. I'm one of your hosts, Olivia, and joining me as always is the illustrious Tommy, aka Tommy Gunn, aka Tommy Glam. Tommy, how are you doing?
1: I am doing great. Wonderful. I, uh, you, you used my old rest, backyard <laughs> wrestling name. I did, yes. We were,
0: we were discussing it earlier, so I thought I'd uh, put it in there. But uh, <laughs> anyways, um, enough with the introduction. Uh, this week we're discussing AEW's 2019 Fighter Fest taking place in the Ocean Center of Daytona, Florida on June 29th, 2019, and had an attendance of approximately 5,000 question mark. I don't know, I looked at this on Wikipedia and it said approximately 5,000, so that's what we're going with.
1: It did, yeah, and let me just say you did your first, you did your first intro. and I'm so excited. We've been talking about this (laughs) for like 10 episodes and you finally wanted to do it and I'm I'm so happy because it's exciting. You. It's like the first time Amy Poehler told a joke on Weekend Update back on SNL. <laughs> and I'm pretty excited. You're much funnier than I am.
0: Oh, well, I well, I disagree. I will take the compliment.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Well, new things here on That's yes. Rising, as you can hear. And we're going to do... New new things. Exactly. Um, we're going to do a new segment, something we wanted to start last week, but more importantly, we had to cover the death of Brody Lee, of course. So Which is na-
0: pretty much what this you know a uh, whole little section is gonna be that's so. true yeah
1: but we're gonna start doing news segments so we're gonna pick one to three at the most yeah. news important news segments of the wrestling world per week and talk about them um, kind of our small thoughts on them we won't take more than like hopefully five minutes with each yeah, of these unless like it's huge. wrestling
0: news within five minutes or less yeah I think this is fun because I think that when we do our year in review um, I think it'll be fun to then add to that and like pick our you know top five. Um, biggest things to happen in wrestling, or you know, so um, right. it's it's kind of a nice little time capsule. Right.
1: We're already headed to December of 2021. Yes, and going <laughs> to talk about the year in review. But Olivia, you uh, have the news articles that you I do. Up,
0: so. so this week we've got a couple of notable um, pieces of wrestling news. The first being. Um, Vince McMahon might be in poor health. Um, on Christmas Day of 2020, uh, former WWE wrestler Ryback tweeted about Vince McMahon and how he is in poor health. Um, despite there being no official reports of McMahon's health being in jeopardy, this tweet comes in the wake of Brody Lee's death, so it was largely ignored, mm-hmm. um, but nonetheless, kind of strange. What do, you, what do you think, Tommy?
1: Um, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, Vince McMahon is old as fuck at this point. He's Definitely in his, if not in his late seventies, I think at least mid seventies, and he's gotta go sooner or later. I don't want him to die. Good, good God, like everyone else on the internet, I don't want him to die. But I mean, he's old, and if he did pass, I would be devastated. But at the same time, be like he lived a pretty amazing life. He's like I mean, he's he's definitely
0: of of elderly age, right? Um, practically geriatric. I I found this kind of interesting just because. Ryback seemed to be the only one to mention it or talk about it. JR
1: also did, Jim Ross. And he said, the only thing Vince does is work and work out in the gym. Which is kind of true, because even in his age, he's still in great shape. But I think Ryback might just be blowing smoke, because Ryback hates Vince McMahon in the WWE. um, Which I don't get, just because, like, dude, Ryback, you sucked. Like, no offense...
0: Yeah, so the so the legitimacy uh, legitimacy of this claim is kind of shaky. I feel like if Jr. said something, it's probably a little bit more legitimate. Um, but I mean, nonetheless, it's kind of I guess I hate to say it, kind of to be expected. I mean, yeah. you know, he's a very elderly man, even though he is in great shape. Um, we've seen with just within this past year with um COVID, you know, people are who normally are very healthy become very ill and very mm-hmm. sick. So. Um, if he is, you know, in poor health, I bet, you know, best wishes. I hope that he, um, has a speedy recovery, but, um, that just thought that that was kind of interesting. Um, Um,
1: something else though about Vince, the last thing I'll say about it, Vince McMahon could die today or tomorrow, um, or live another 25 years. I mean, it's both are completely plausible and I wouldn't be surprised. Weirdly uh, enough,
0: he's kind of like that stray cat that you find on the side of the road and you're like not really sure how old he is, but you know, he's ends up, you know, living twenty five plus years. Right. So um yeah, it's kinda I, I, I totally agree. I think it's one of those things where, you know, he could live, you know, for another twenty years or who knows. Right. So um but in other news, uh we saw a fun little reunion happen this past week on AEW Dynamite. Um, We see a Bullet Club reunion, which was super exciting for the wrestling community. Um, We saw a partial reformation of the Bullet Club um, as the closing segment, and it involved Gallows and Anderson, Nick and Matt Jackson, and Kenny Omega. Um, The whole group threw up a two-suite together at the end, um, which could be a possible indicator for how this year in wrestling is going to proceed. I think that I had mentioned in our 2020 year in review that I wanted to see like really big and exciting things on AEW and I wanted to see more people go from WWE to AEW so um maybe this you know re- little reunion might be a small indicator of that but what do you think?
1: Um I'm pretty excited about it it's really interesting because it's being touted as like a bullet club reunion but yeah the bullet club's still around in New Japan like
0: right but the uh, bullet club as American wrestling fans right yeah
1: it. the um the American members of the wrestling yeah. aside <laughs> from AJ Styles and Finn Balor, who's actually Irish, not American, but... And oddly enough, Kenny Omega's Canadian, but that's beside the point. Um, (laughs) Anyways. Yeah, I'm excited about it. I love the Bullet Club. Um, The Young Bucks, especially, were able to turn that Japanese or that New Japan program into, like, the best-selling wrestling t-shirt and merchandise since Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock, so good on them. And there's already a shirt up on AEW's Pro Wrestling Tees website that... uh, it has the two sweet hand signal in it, which oh, is funny yeah. because the Young Bucks got a seasoned assist order from WWE saying they can't use that anymore, so I wonder what that's all about, but pretty, bold. pretty excited to see it because I am a big fan of the Bullet Club stable, especially in New Japan still, and the five men that were in the ring yeah. on Dynamite last week.
0: Yeah. Awesome. So, with that being said, I kind of want to roll into our opening question yes, of absolutely. the show. So
1: we're going to talk about the uh, we're going to talk about the pay per view now.
0: Yes. <laughs> so, um, this is just kind of a more general question. I feel like when we first you know started to dive into AEW, there are just like a lot of general questions that I want to you know, opposed to you, Mm -hmm. Um, just as we, you know, kind of explore this a little bit more. I feel like people who are listening might not be as familiar with the product as they are, say, WWE, so um, for these first, you know, couple AEW shows, these questions might be more general, but as we get into it, I'll definitely ask more um, pay-per-view specific questions, but with that being said, uh, last week we discussed our opinion on the strength and continuation of AEW. Um, so, with those last week's opinions still being considered, do you think that we will see a rise in televised wrestling programs, or do you think that AEW is a standalone unicorn?
1: Um. I definitely think we will, because AEW is working with Impact Wrestling right now, right. which is the form of TNA, which is bringing new eyes to TNA, because, or, sorry, Impact. I'm so used to calling it TNA from back in the day. You know,
0: that, I am too. <laughs> it's okay. Which is a
1: terrible name. It really is. But it's just what I call it. And, uh, which is great. I mean, Kenny Omega's working with them. Gallows and Anderson, who just appeared on Dynamite, yeah. are, are Impact wrestlers. Yeah. Um, and the Young Bucks want to wrestle against the Motor City Machine Guns again, which I haven't talked about them on this show before, but Chris Abe and Alex Shelley, the Motor City Machine Guns, are one of my favorite tag teams of all time. And they really made the Young Bucks back in the day. So that's going to be interesting to see as the Young Bucks have become more seasoned. And... Uh, they're already working with Ring of Honor so hopefully Ring of Honor can get a lot more coverage and if they start to continue like once we get a little more normalized and travels allowed again if they can start working with New Japan yeah, that's going to be great because it's New totally Japan huge. yeah, New Japan Pro Wrestling is amazing and they can bring over a lot of amazing talent some of which we've already seen some of which we'll cover here and it's just going to kind of make the WWE step up their game because yeah. they're getting all these programs together to take take them out, kind of, in yeah. a way. So it's going to be really interesting. Who knows, though? With the whole COVID thing, it's really impossible to tell.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, there there's a lot of different things that can happen, but I think that it's really interesting to see, you know, a program such as AEW work in tandem mm-hmm. with already established companies, like Impact, for example. Uh, I think that with that, you could probably see, and even with your mention of New Japan uh, Wrestling, I think it would be really, really cool to see, you know, that kind of product... Being more easily accessible to, um, not even just American wrestling fans, but more Western wrestling fans. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I know that I uh, talk to people who, and you know, people that I'm related to who are super into watching, you know, indie wrestling and really um, a lot of like of those Asian wrestling programs like New Japan. Um, I think it would be really cool to be able to have easier access to be able to watch that kind of wrestling. Um, And I think that by these programs working in tandem together, working together or potentially working together, that we could possibly, you know, see that. And with being in the COVID era and needing more entertainment, um, I think it would be really, really cool to see, uh, to be able to have that access to all of those wrestling programs.
1: I agree. I would love for New Japan to be more accessible because you can watch it. If you really look for it, right. but it's hard. It's
0: it's really difficult it's from really what I hard. understand. Yeah,
1: and I had to always kind of watch clips or um, buy paper use, right. which is great. I mean, I would you know if I have the money, I would love to buy all of them. But to to watch them is very difficult. So if they got a little more exposure, you can kind of see people love the young bucks, people yeah. love Kenny Omega, but you don't. A lot of people don't know the uh, Okadas of the world or the Natos of the world or the Tama Tongas of the world, one of the original members of the Bullet Club. And it would be great if those guys could get a lot more exposure. We're getting some with, like, Riho,
0: I believe, she's yeah, from New exactly. Japan. She's
1: great. She's obviously going to be on this show, as well as a bunch of the other women. Um, Shitsuke Nakamura is from New Japan Pro Wrestling. Obviously, he's really well-known. Um, and then you've got all the American and Canadian people that went there, such as AJ Styles, Finn Balor. He's Irish again, but that sort of thing. So if we can yeah. get New Japan on TV eventually. That, that be would be great. That would be super cool. Yes. Um yeah. So we're gonna get into our show. Yeah, now. without
0: further ado. All
1: right. So this is like you mentioned AEW's Fighter Fest twenty nineteen, and let's just talk about the name real quick. Yes. Fighter Fest. So, obviously, it's a play on the Fire Festival, um, which was a supposed to be a music and club festival that took place on a private island. I think twenty sixteen or seventeen. Something like well, that. All of these bands and models were supposed to be at, and all of these social media um, influencers got invited. But the problem was... It sounded great, too, all these acts that were going to play. Blink-182 is the one that always comes to my mind. But the problem was, the promoter of it was a sociopathical, pathological liar who never could get these things, was promised bungalows and um, gourmet meals, and instead got shitty paper tents and cheese sandwiches. sandwiches. <laughs> and these people... Um, while they are very privileged, got stuck on this island, I think, for two days yeah. without... And like, stuck in the airport. They couldn't yeah. even leave the airport. Um, and it was one of the biggest disasters ever. There's um, two documentaries, one on Netflix, one on Hulu. Check them both out. They're amazing. And they're both so different, too. It's insane how different the two documentaries are. So the, it's kind of funny watching this because... The Fire Festival documentaries came out in January of 2019. This happened, obviously, in June of 2019. Yeah. So very relevant. But as we look at it in January 2021, it seems like a dated reference.
0: It kind of already. has been almost is very... The more I thought about it, and I might be thinking too much into this, but I kind of like the clever play of like using that as a pay-per-view theme because mm-hmm. I feel like it's very reflective of AEW as a product. I remember... You know when there were the first mumblings of aew and like what was to come and you know cody rhodes establishing his own wrestling company and like if that's going to pan out or if it's just going to fall flat and um so i think that's really representative of what aew actually came to be you know because a lot of people had like huge doubts that it was ever going to get off the ground and um especially being like you know so far removed from the monday night wars at this point in time um, it was very hard to even fathom that we would have another, you know, wrestling company that could even rival mm-hmm. uh, any WWE product. So um, I think that uh, it's kind of like a fun little jab. I like it. I like I using like that too. as a as a theme. That's yeah. very fun. And,
1: and the entrance, um, the the stage, yeah. had the Firefest Fest um, tent, which yeah. I thought was funny, and the the buy in, which we'll get to in a moment. Had a lot of in-jokes about it, like um, the members of the elite not being able to afford models or gourmet food because they went over budget, which is a joke on the actual festival. Um, None of the bands being able to show up, even though they didn't say, hey, we're going to have these bands, was really funny. Yeah. Um, And the fact that Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks forgot their gear in storyline. But he's like, I got you guys covered. And Matt Jackson's all excited. He's like, oh, yes, we got really awesome gear. But... That means we had to cut the budget back. And then they bring out, like, standee models, like the mannequins, mannequins yeah. which was funny. Um, so it was a really, really yeah, good so take.
0: they just had, they had a ton of fun with it. Um, you know, it's, it, I think it speaks for itself when you have uh, a wrestling program that not only has really, really good quality wrestling, really super entertaining, but, like, definitely doesn't take itself too seriously, which I appreciate.
1: Yes. Um, so the buy-in, which we never really uh, review, but we do talk about a little bit, had three matches, um, which I thought was cool in an hour time. The first was a three-way tag match between the private party, which was Mark Quinn and Isaiah Cassidy, taking on Frankie Kazarian and Scorpio Sky of SoCal Uncensored, and the best friends, Chuck T e. and Traporetta. The winner of this match went on to all-in for the uh, um, to wrestle for the first-ever AEW Tag Team Championships, and the best friends win, and then they're not really attacked by the Dark Order afterwards, which was weird. But the match was really good. Yeah. Um, watch the match. You can watch it free on YouTube. So you can watch the whole buy-in free on YouTube. Then we got a match between Ali and Leva Bates, the librarian um, who was accompanied by Peter Avalon. I find these two hilarious. You find them very annoying. And I think that's great because uh, it's, I love when we kind of disagree on things like that. Because at least it's not Same. like we agree on everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, Ali won that match with a, uh, with a kick to the head. That match wasn't very good. Um, and then we got Michael Nakazawa, Japanese import, taking on the CEO of CEO Gaming, which is, this guy's not a wrestler, his name is Alex Jabaley, in a hardcore, and I put that in quotations, match, where Michael Nakazawa and him wrestled really ridiculously, because obviously Jubele is not a wrestler, and <laughs> it did end very humorously, though, as Michael Nakazawa dropped... Alex Bailey on the Legos which if you've ever stepped on a Lego is excruciating so imagine getting backdropped on them yeah but that was the buy-in pretty fun buy-in all things considered um but onto the main show shall absolutely. we
0: absolutely all
1: right so our first match is the fallen angel Christopher Daniels taking on Chima we saw these two wrestle in a six-man tag at uh double or nothing so this was just the singles match between the two uh both of these two are like I mentioned last week um the old members of their teams, essentially. Uh, I believe Christopher Daniels is like 48 and Chima's in his early 40s. So they're quite old, but they move around very fast. It's a very fast-paced opening between both men, uh, but it's slowed down by Daniels as he gets Chima in a headlock. We get a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker, which brings the action to the outside, where Daniels then hits a suplex onto the floor. Daniels lands a beautiful Arabian moonsault into uh, Chima's injured lower backs, back. Sorry chima then mounts a small comeback but it's cut off by an angel wings by daniels but he only gets the two count daniels then toughs himself out of a uh, perfect bomb by chima and then a high impact meteora puts daniels away for the surprise win for chima which was awesome uh so olivia what do we think
0: um this was like uh an intense one-on-one to begin the show it was a really really good match um and despite it being fairly short, I thought it was like a pretty explosive match. But other than that, I don't really have anything notable that I liked about the match. Um, I just thought, again, it's just really good wrestling. Nothing to really complain about. So for that, I'm going to give it a three out of five.
1: I gave it a three out of five as well. Um, I thought, I mean, these guys are old. So yeah. they're always going to be kind of a step behind, especially what they were at 15 years ago. Um, But I thought it was pretty fast-paced for guys in their age group. Um, Christopher Daniels is a legend. Um, This is some of my only experience to Chima. But, yeah, very, very good opener, very strong opener. Uh, no pun intended on the Stronghearts thing. <laughs> and I thought both men looked great. Chima, they kept touting the announcers, um, which I didn't mention. are good old Jim Ross, greatest announcer of all time. Excalibur and uh, Golden Boy are the announcers for this one. It's going to be a while before we get Tony Schiavone, unfortunately. But yeah. we'll get him in there. And they kept saying, oh, Chima's wrestling Kenny Omega at Fight for the Fallen, which is the next pay-per-view we'll cover. And they talked about that a lot, which I think was kind of strange. Like, you only need to mention it one time, guys. Yeah. (laughs) But, yeah, three out of five is what I gave it as well. Something I noticed about this pay-per-view as well as we continue is there's no, like, backstage segments or promos or anything. There's one promo we'll get to. But there's nothing like break from the action. I mean, it immediately goes into the next match, which is a triple threat match between uh Riho uh Nyla Rose and Yuka Sakazaki and this was a pretty fun match I'll try my best multi-person matches are always very hard to nail down all the details which we'll get into in the six man tag match a little yes. later uh Riho comes out first and then Nyla Rose enters and there's a quick shot to Riho and she looks terrified of her opponent which I thought was funny because she wrestled her at the last show so I mean I guess that's why you're scared I don't know uh sakazaki then enters and the match starts the two smaller women attempt to double team uh, a double team coup on the native beast but are quickly overpowered and thrown around Uh, nyla locks in a double camel clutch so if you don't know what that is it's when your opponent is laying on their chest and you put their arms around your legs and then grab their chin and lock it in she did that to both of them at the same time which was pretty impressive granted i don't think both of these women combined way as much as nyla rose so probably easier for her to do it uh, Yuka then hits a very awkward huracarana and then an even more awkward over-the-top rope some sort of dive. Um, it looked very dangerous. She looked a little unsure of herself, and the, that was kind of the big downfall of the match. Uh, Nyla then eats a 619 from Ryo and a top rope splash from Yuka, taking her out of the match as the two smaller women uh, began to do some fast-paced Japanese-style wrestling. Nyla then hangs Ryo on the ropes and in the scariest spot of the match... Climbs the top rope as Rio Rio is laying there. I'm used to saying Ria because of Ria Ripley. Yeah. <laughs> so if I say Ria, I mean Rio, and then does a top rope guillotine. Now Nyla Rose is about two hundred thirty pounds, give or take, and Rio, as I mentioned, is ninety eight pounds. She launched off of those ropes, and it was horrifying and also entertaining at the same time. Uh, we then get a double so. Ryo goes for a crossbody on Nyla Rowe, she catches her, then Sakazaki goes for one, and she catches her, so she's carrying both of these women, which again, is just a testament to her strength, um, and throws them around as well, she tries to go for a pin, but it is kicked out of, uh, this is when JR mentions that Ryo is 22 at this point, and she's been wrestling since she was 9, which is just, man, they start real early in Japan, I was born in the damn wrong culture, that's for sure. <laughs> Uh, we get a bunch of pin combos from all the ladies as there's major kickouts. Then Rio catches Rose with a surprise leg lock and rolls her up for the pin. Uh, Nyla Rose then attacks afterwards, and the match ends. So Olivia, what do we think?
0: Yeah, so this was an interesting matchup. Um, when you talk about you know Nyla Rose versus both Rio and Sakazaki, like I mean, talk about total mismatch. And I, I mean, you know, Nyla Rose gets an early advantage in this match, so of course you think, like, oh, like, she's definitely going to overpower both of these women, but they do this, like, really interesting, like, teaming up, but then, like, going at each other, um, which I think can sometimes get a little convoluted, um, but nonetheless, it was, like, a really, really interesting match, I would say. Um, there was a lot of double teaming of Ryo and Yuka on Nyla, but then, you know, we surprisingly see Rio get the win, so I was I was kind of shocked by that um, because you know Nyla in this match overcomes it over and over again, um, and so this was really it, this provoked a thought in my little rat brain uh, that I, I I had said in the last pay per view or the last show that we did that I'm pretty critical of the AEW women's roster. However, I do have a positive note about their roster. And despite this being the only women's match that we see on this card tonight, um, which, you know, sometimes I complain about. Sometimes I'm like, well, eh, it's not necessary.
1: Technically it was the, the ally Leba Bates match.
0: Yeah, okay. Well, that's technically another women's match, if you want to count that. Um, still very disproportionate to how many men's matches there are. But regardless... Uh, I do have a positive note to make, and I noticed that just within this match, like, AEW might not have the strongest women's roster, but they had definitely have the most diverse. Um, This match specifically, you see, I I believe, two Japanese women going against a Native American woman. So I thought that that was pretty cool because when I was thinking about other um, wrestling programs like WWE with both NXT and both Raw and SmackDown, the rosters can get... With the occasional Japanese woman, I would say, or the occasional black woman, it's pretty whitewashed for the most part. Yeah. Um, so I just thought that that was an interesting note that I had just now thought of, which I don't know how I just now came to that conclusion, but I did. But final rating, 3.5 out of 5. I thought it was a fun triple threat match. Nothing too crazy, nothing too serious. Um, there were some cool spots. There was a lot of athleticism involved. Um, from
1: all three parties, so it was fun. Yeah, I gave it a 3.5 out of 5 as well. I think we're going to continue the trend that we did last week and have the same grades, (laughs) except for one match, which we'll disagree on, I'm sure. But I'm sure. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. Uh, There was a few botches. um, I think there was actually a lot of botches on the show um, from everybody. Well, not everybody, but a good portion of people involved, and I'll get to some of those in a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, Rio's great. Um, Nyla Rose is great. Yuka Sakazaki's great, and they put on a really fun, entertaining yeah, triple threat match here. Absolutely. And yeah, so to move on from a triple threat match, we get a of four way match because you know why not more multi man matches? Here? Yeah. So <laughs> Just we throwing have throwing
0: everybody on the exa- card.
1: Exactly right. We've got Maxwell Jacob Friedman, known as MJF, taking on the Jungle Boy Jack Evans, taking on Jimmy Havoc, taking on Hangman Adam Page. But before the match starts, we get Kip Sabian on commentary, which was cool. I love Kip Sabian. Uh, he's a, he's a pretty funny wrestler now teamed with, uh, Miro formerly known as Rusev, but MJF makes his entrance first and then he grabs a microphone and the promo that he cut was just fantastic. Now MJF is just a prick and I don't think if he ever heard this, he would be upset with me calling him that because that's the role he wants to play and that's the role he plays very well. When they were in town and he came to the restaurant I work at, I went to shake his hand I was really excited and he went to do it too. And then as soon as he got to me, he swiped his hand <laughs> up over to his hair and most people would be annoyed, but I was just like, Oh God, he's such a prick. I love it <laughs> because he doesn't actually mean it, right. but he wants you to think he means yeah. it. And that makes him such a great heel.
0: In so, the world of, you know, kayfabe being dead. He is like the one.
1: He's keeping it yeah. up, which makes no sense. Cause Jim Cornette, who loves kayfabe, hates MJF. So, but make besides it the, sense. yeah. Um, so I'm just gonna pull a few choice lines from MJF's promo. Wonderful. He starts with his opponents. He calls Jungle Boy a dollar store Tarzan. He calls Jimmy Havoc a 65 year old who hasn't left his emo phase. And he calls Adam Page for the second week in a row sea which I just love. It's so funny. <laughs> uh, then he begins to mock the crowd, and he starts to, uh, he starts to talk about. I we got off on the wrong foot. I love video games too. Who likes video games? He starts a video game chant and he's like, I used to like video games too, until I lost my virginity. <laughs> and there's this kinda chubby dude in the front row who is getting like beat red angry at him. Like he is flipping him off and just staring a hole through him as if like the dude really means what yeah. he's saying. He's just trying to get cheap heat and it's working. You're falling for his fucking trap. Him. Uh and I just loved every second of mjf's promo he was so funny and he was such a dick and you don't really see a heel like that anymore kevin owens is one that you see i mean he's a face now but when he was a heel he would kind of play those tactics too
0: you know it's a good promo when it's like really convincing to the crowd right you know what i mean and i think that he really very intentionally struck a nerve with this audience because for lack of better terms um, hopefully this doesn't make it to where, like, nobody watches or listens to our show ever again, but, like, there are so many, like, neckbeard <laughs> AEW fans, and, like, that was, like, the whole audience, so for him to just, like, take so many jabs at the very fans of AEW, it's just, like, it's, like, chef's kiss. Right, like, and absolute they all, chef's kiss. they
1: all want to be mad at him and boo him, and it's like, yeah, but you're also paying his salary. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> if you just realize they're fucking with you and they don't mean it it becomes so much more fun but then you get the people that are like oh wwe would never do this which is not true because cm punk did it yeah and roddy piper did it and but beside the point so sometimes
0: cheapy is like the most effective
1: exactly like i loved when edge and christian would come out back in the attitude era and they would just rip on the town yeah because i could sit there and boo them but also be like "Eh, it's kind of funny yeah like
0: (laughs) and accurate
1: right and like they came out in tennessee once dressed as like fat elvis and people got, like, belligerently mad and wanted to beat the shit out of them. It's like, you're falling for their joke.
0: Yeah. Like, or, like, you, when, when we went to the AEW show um, last year and <laughs> Chris Jericho came out and, like, he was talking about how nobody from Champagne ever made a damn thing of themselves, but...
1: Tony Khan is <laughs> yeah. the owner of AEW. And then he goes, who the hell is Tony yeah. Khan? Like, who the
0: <laughs> hell is Tony
1: <laughs> Good stuff. Anyway. Um, but anyways. On to the match. Uh... We get some quick action early. It sees Adam Page square off with Jungle Boy, which is a match I would pay to see because those two would just light up the show. I also realized halfway through this match that these are the final four of the Casino Battle Royal from uh, last week, which I thought was interesting. Um, Also, Jungle Boy came out with Luchasaurus, so it's always fun to see him. Exactly. Uh, We get a few everyone spots, um, which Olivia likes to call them when everyone's jumping over the top rope, until MJF uh, stops... Jungle Boy's aerial artistry and then MJF looks like he's about to go for a over-the-top rope move but instead of diving over he just hits the ropes again and then shakes his finger and he says there's no way I'm doing a diving move again just beautiful chef's kiss heel artistry I loved it uh moments later Jungle Boy does get in everyone's spot he hits a hanging cannonball to the outside which he doesn't hit all the way because he clips his foot on the rope and luckily Like Jimmy Havoc's ass was in the way to stop him from cracking his dome really hard because that would have been really bad. Uh, MJF gets uh, murdered as his three opponents land a Tower of Doom right onto him, which is a powerbomb-suplex combo off the top rope. We've covered many Tower of Dooms on this show. Uh, MJF and Page finally square off one-to-one, leading to MJF to rock Page with a chop block onto his injured leg. MJF then blocks an Acid Rainmaker, which is uh, Jimmy Havoc's elbow attack with a poke to the eye, which is so innovative. Like, I'm going to stop this buck by poking you right in the face. It's so old school heel moves. I love it. Uh, And then he dodges the buckshot lariat from Adam Page. I almost said Adam Pierce, which is a completely (laughs) different company, um, which Havoc then eats. Uh, A dead eye later onto Jimmy Havoc and the hangman gets the W. He is, of course, going on to face Chris Jericho at All Out for the first AEW championship. But Olivia, what... Do we think of this match?
0: Oh man, this match was pretty brutal, um, and I think that that it kind of just sets the tone for the rest of the night. Uh, and I thought it was just like another strong match in the card. And I was just a little surprised that Anna Page got the dub when the majority of the match was just MJF and Jungle Boy going at it. Um, so I was like pretty surprised that he like was able to like slip in and get the W at the end. Um, I thought that out of all four, that he was like the one that I would have guessed to not win. Um, he's but the number I mean, one
1: contender, I mean, <laughs> yeah,
0: number one contender, so I guess I shouldn't be that surprised. Um, the only thing that I hated about this was there were so many, like, painful neck spots that just made me absolutely cringe. But like I said, it definitely sets the tone for the rest of the night. Um, but regardless, my final rating is going to be a 3.5 out of 5.
1: I Again, I gave it the same grade. <laughs> um, I knew Adam Page was going to win, not because I had seen it before, but because I was like, Adam Page has to win this match because he's right. got to make him look strong against Chris Jericho. Yeah. Um, But I thought it was pretty fun, all things considered. Um, Jimmy Havoc is one of those dudes who we'll get to two more later, who's known for the deathmatch style of wrestling. And I believe next week we have a very hardcore match between him, Joey Janella, and Darby Allen, which is really entertaining. And he looked awesome here. I mean, the dude's kind of a sexual predator, apparently, and he's been fired from AEW. But to not get into his personal life, like I've tried to do not do with Velvet Dream, Velveteen Dream, He's a pretty good wrestler, he's yeah. pretty entertaining, so um, the guy might suck, but the wrestler's good. And the other three, um, we talk very highly of, of course, MJF is the best heel in the business right now, Adam Page is an amazing wrestler, and Jungle Boy is such an up-and-comer, he's your age, he's 23. Yeah, very, uh, very
0: f- four very strong contenders in right. this match.
1: And he looks so much like his dad, Luke Perry, oh, the totally. late, great Luke Perry. The uh like literally the, a
0: spinning image of him. Right,
1: the 29-year-old man who played a 17-year-old on Beverly Hills 90210 back in the day. <laughs> so, but yes, so good match. I liked it. It was a lot of fun. Now moving on to the match that you I think were most excited for. We get the newcomer, Darby Allen, taking on uh the American nightmare Cody Rhodes, or as he's known here, Cody, with his wife Brandi Rhodes. Uh, Darby Allen enters first with a body bag that has Cody One and One spray painted on it because he says he wants to give Cody his first loss in AEW. And I also noticed at about this time, Darby Allen's music kind of sounds like the Goth kid music in South Park. It
0: definitely does. Which yeah. just
1: fucking made me giggle so hard because <laughs> like it's cool music, but at the same time you're like kind of kind of dorky. But Darby Allen's cool. Uh, and then Triple H and Stephanie mcmahon I'm sorry. Uh, Cody Rhodes and Brandy Rhodes enter next. <laughs> And to say they're not Triple H and Stephanie is just a lie, because they really They
0: really are. are.
1: And I don't know if they are just trying to be them as, a, like, satire, or if they just really don't know that they are. Um, I think there's are. a
0: little bit of self-awareness. I think that there's definitely an air of character foiling going on. Um, So, I mean, I agree. I I think that there's a little bit of self-awareness, because um, how could you not be, you know, as that sort of, like, power couple... Um, you know, head of AEW.
1: Right. And Cody's rocking his uh, Throne Slayer shirt. Yeah. Which is, A, a take on, of course, Triple H's throne. But also Seth Rollins's uh, King Slayer yeah. gimmick that he had when he fought Triple H. And then also, Brady Rhodes is dressed like current-day Stephanie when she totally. has a major WrestleMania entrance. So, yeah. you kind of got to know. Yeah. Um, Justin Roberts announces the two men and says this match has a 20-minute time limit. Which is something you touched upon. Last week, it you like the time yes. on the thing, and that's going to come into play that during this is. match. So, uh, Cody and Darby start to uh, count each other's, counter each, sorry guys, again, I wrote my notes on paper because we're watching this through my laptop to my TV. It's really hard to read my chicken scratch writing, I'm trying to write nicer, so bear with me if I trip over my words. I also have a lisp and a stutter, don't make fun of me. Uh, Cody and Darby Allen counter each other's moves early, uh, leading to Darby to out-wrestle the veteran and hit a very high impact arm drag. Cody starts to get very frustrated. He takes advantage with a cheap shot and then starts to toss Darby into the turnbuckle in a very nasty spot because instead of going back first, like normal wrestlers do, he turns horizontally and hits his back on the turnbuckle Mm -hmm. and then flies to the outside. That's not the worst of the bumps this dude takes in the match. Uh, Cody then mocks his opponent by doing push-ups in the ring. Again, something Triple H did back in, like, 2002. But he's totally not Triple H. Totally. Uh, Cody Cody holds the advantage for many minutes, uh, wrestling down his younger competitor with rest holds, suplexes, and slams. Cody gets a bit too cocky and experiences a springboard corkscrew attack while also getting trapped in a wrist lock onto his injured hand that Darby had kicked earlier. Allen misses a massive amount... Uh, or, sorry... Allen hits a massive amount of strikes and a destroyer but only gets two as Justin Roberts announces that there is five minutes remaining in the match and I'm going to start talking about the time a lot here. Cody then rocks Allen's shit with a top rope reverse suplex but he refuses to quit and hits a kick out. Darby then lays Cody onto that spot on the ring that is under the ropes the hardest part of the ring if you will and goes for a coffin drop. Now a coffin drop is when he Gets to the top rope and does a backdrop, basically. Like, he puts his arms over his chest and does, like, a backdrop like he would do. Like, a truss fall, essentially. Yeah. But Cody gets out of the way and Darby cracks his, like, 14-pound body. He
0: fucking eats it. It,
1: you could hear that thud. It's still ringing in my ear. And...
0: How he didn't break his entire spine in half, I have no idea.
1: I fell down the stairs <laughs> the other day, like, on some ice. And I am, like, almost immobile. But this dude's like, I'm gonna wrestle for five more minutes or two more minutes, actually, because we got a two-minute warning here, as Cody then zips Darby into his own body bag and hits a disaster kick, which was pretty entertaining. One minute remaining, uh, but Darby kicks out of the disaster kick, and then 30 seconds remaining as Cody uh, starts to whip Darby with his belt. Feeling frantic, he hits a crossroads, but he's too beat up to pin Darby right away, and as the 10 count happens, he gets the pin at about two left, which means ref Aubrey Edwards has to stop her count, and the match ends in a time limit draw, which is something I have not seen since like the mid-90s, but very welcome here, and really cool, and kind of made a star out of Dobby Allen. But before we get to our thoughts, Sean Spears enters and just brutalizes Cody with a chair shot, and not one that you see nowadays where they get the hands up and it's like oh it's a chair shot but they were protected he
0: it was like a straight up to, to the, the dome back
1: of the head wrapped around his head and Cody is left on the mat obviously dazed he got a concussion from this and his head you could see the rip in his skull huge
0: gash
1: um and blood is just pouring out of yeah. his head and MJF and uh Allen censored come out to like bully Sean Spears off and like protect Cody this was one of the... We'll talk about this after we give our grades. Let's wait for the chair shot thing. Um, but what do we think of the match? In okay,
0: so the match itself I really, really loved. Um, I thought it was, like, one of the strongest um, matches on the card itself. Um, watching this, I I don't know. I, I had a thought before I get into the match itself. I was just thinking about how, like, Darby Allen is just, like, kind of a really tiny, like, you know, little short king... Um, and then, you know, Cody, even though he's, like, pretty built, um, I mean, he's definitely not the biggest wrestler ever, um, and so it just, like, made me think about how, like, this, I feel like, is very introductory of another new wave of wrestling, because it just reminds me of, you know, kind of the Pseudo beginning of the attitude era where you had a lot of like smaller guys who wouldn't previously be considered wrestlers um, becoming wrestlers and becoming very successful at it um, You know, Chris Diarco being one Eddie Guerrero being one um, You know, so a lot of like a lot of short Kings going on, you know, um, and there are very few men um, On the AEW roster that I would argue that stand above six feet. So um, love that love the inclusion but on to the match um, I'm a huge fan of the neon green black combo that Cody's wearing. I hate it. I love that color I hate combo. It. I think it looks super badass. <laughs> I think that the person that pulls it off the best has to be Io Shirai, but nonetheless, love the neon green also and the hate black it on combo. Her. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I thought that this had some like really really good storytelling. Uh, Darby finds a lot of his advantages uh, by manipulating the damaged left hand of Cody. Um, That he damages uh very early on in the match uh which was you know like I said I am a I'm a sucker for some good storytelling within the matches themselves, um that missed like coffin drop on the edge of the ring just like uh, like I literally put in parentheses puke emoji because it made me want to puke, um but also the body bag spot was like my absolute claustrophobic (laughs) nightmare hated every second of that, so okay. So let me just say this before we get into the discussion of the chair shot. This match, by itself, you know, not considering what follows afterward, four out of five. Super strong match. I think it made Darby look amazing. Um, I loved the ending. I thought it was so suspenseful and um, definitely plays into one of my favorite aspects about AEW, which is the time limit. Um, so that was just really cool to see, um, to see, you know, something that... I guess differentiates itself from WWE in the sense that I've seen a lot of things in AEW thus far that they do intentionally. And those actions that they choose to make actually have like consequences and actually result in something. And Mm -hmm. they're, so they're very significant and I love that. Um, but to, to touch on the chair shot, which I don't want to talk about too much.
1: Well, hold on. Can I, can I give my review? Totally. Yes, absolutely. Go ahead. So, I think I agree with everything you said. This match told a story in 20 minutes about a veteran who is a very good wrestler, who underestimated his rookie opponent, who made Cody Rhodes, with all the jokes I say against him, made Darby Allin a star in this match. He made that kid look so good. So good. And that is so much credit to Cody, and that's so much credit to Darby. And I would have given this match a 5 out of 5 but I have to look at the entire presentation. And sure, I make fun of the entrance, but like it's part of the presentation and it's funny. So I'm not going to take that away. But so I gave it a 4.5 out of five. And the reason I didn't give it the five is the thing we want to get into now, which is the chair shot from Sean Spears, because that's still part of the presentation yeah. of this match. And I'm going to let you say your Yeah,
0: thoughts. absolutely. So I don't I think I feel like I might've mentioned this, but I'm just going to mention it again. Um, I initially gave this a four out of five. Um, but then, of course, once we started to see what ensued after the match, I remembered, I was like, oh, yeah, th- this happens. Um, so with the entire presentation, including the chair shot, I have to knock it to like a three out of five.
1: Ooh! Um, damn, you knocked it down low.
0: I was super upset by this. I, you know, don't get me wrong. I will love to go back. I love to go back and watch old pay-per-views where there's like super intense, brutal wrestling Um, You know, I mentioned the Attitude Era earlier. That is, like, the era of, you know, chair shots to the head. Unprotected
1: chair shots, Um, yeah.
0: And I think that it just reminded me of the... I believe it was Mankind and The Rock where... Where Rumble
1: 1999 in Anaheim. I was there. And
0: I just... Everything about that, like, I remember watching it for the first time made me, like, super upset Mm -hmm. and made me think about how... You know the reason why I watch wrestling is because I know that these guys you know put a lot of dedication a lot of time and a lot of thought into you know I mean they do take a good beating but they do it so you know in a very protected way um and that's kind of what differentiates itself from something as reckless as like football where those guys you know die way too young um because of those uh that because of that head trauma and so I felt like this obviously was something that was like very um debated in the wrestling community when this happened some people really loved it and those are the people that really really love AEW some people hated it and I don't think that it's I don't think it's necessarily a whole critique on AEW as a company I just think it's a critique on the choices that I think that, you know, like, don't get me wrong, Cody is a great performer. He, you know, runs his, his, the company that he is a part of, that he has a hand in very well, and does a fantastic job, and creates a fantastic product. But I feel like we're kind of past this sort of thing. Um, and I feel like my me, me saying this now is probably going to conflict um, with what the one of the matches that we talk about later. Uh, but I just... I think it's kind of super unnecessary, um, especially with his head being damaged as bad oh as it was. God, it was just it was super gross. brutal. And I think that by watching that blood pour out for just, like, way too long and it being really quiet in the ring... And the, the replays. Quiet. They played yeah. it like
1: ten times.
0: So unnecessary.
1: So I'm, I'm glad you brought up actually finished i don't mean oh yeah i'm totally finished i'm glad you brought up the attitude era style hair shot headshots because while we look at them now we're like god that was so stupid like why did we let this go on for so long there is a difference between a chair shot to the an unprotected chair shot at the head in 1999 when we didn't know better we should have but we didn't and 2019 when we fucking knew better because after chris benoit we should have known better And there's no reason for this kind of headshot back then. And you mentioned... I'm also glad you brought up the main event because the main event, not to bury the lead on it too much, is a really brutal, hardcore, non-sanctioned match. However, it seemed so safe. Yeah. Like, there are two dudes protecting each other while this was just something so unnecessary and so dumb and just not needed in 2019. Whereas the hardcore match, it's like, yeah, it's painful and it's kind of gross, but they're protecting each other while they're yeah. doing it. It's like, there's no need for an unprotected hair shot. And head in a shot. way,
0: I feel kind of really icky about this whole, like, unprotected shot to the head because you know how that went down backstage. You know that Cody, like, went to Sean Spears and was like, this is something you have to do to me. Like, this is my idea. This is what you're going to have to do to me.
1: I don't know why he, he didn't get that. He could have bladed yeah, I mean, I don't really like blading that much anymore either. But that would have been way better, and you wouldn't have got a fucking concussion from it. Yeah, like ugh, it was, it was gross. Um, don't look it up. Watch the match, but try and skip past this if you do watch. This and pay-per-view. it's super
0: disappointing too because I feel like it kind of put a. I mean, granted, you know, AEW's a fairly new company, so they're gonna have to experiment, and sometimes things work, and sometimes things don't. You know, sometimes it's a hit, sometimes it's a miss. Um, not literally, but you know what I mean. Um <laughs> but I just I don't know.
1: That it, took me it, way too long to get that joke. Was, <laughs> it just
0: it kind of hurts me that like they had this amazing match and then the damper on it was, you know, this that, ending segment.
1: Yeah, I agree and it kind of sucked. The one bright spot about the segment is as Cody's getting um taken out um being helped out. Uh we see a Dean Malenko. Yeah. While Dean Malenko appears who is a legendary technical wrestler from the 90s and 2000s. Um Easily one of the most underrated wrestlers of totally, all time. Totally, I agree. Yeah, and he's a backstage producer now for AEW, so that was cool. Hey, you yeah. our first time on the show in 2019, <laughs> yeah. or 2021, technically. All right, moving on to our semi-main event. We get the Lucha Brothers, uh, Pentagon Jr., and Ray Phoenix, with Laredo Kid, a newcomer on the show, taking on the Elite, which is the Young Bucks, Matt and Nick Jackson, and Kenny Omega in a six-man tag team match, and... After the match, of course, we're going to grade it like we always do, and then I'm going to task Olivia with guessing the amount of super kicks in this match. And this one put me through the ringer, because good God. Good God. So, uh, the Lucha Brothers and Laredo Kid come out first, um, and then the Elite come out, and Matt and Nick Jackson are dressed as Ryu and Ken from Street Fighter, and Kenny Omega is dressed as Akuma from Street Fighter. That was super cool. That was the costumes that they alluded to earlier and the other announcers were making fun of jr they're like for the old people at the announce table this is based off a video game called street fighter which doesn't make any sense because street fighter came out in like 1992
0: so but he was still very old then it's true
1: that's true um this match had a lot going on so i'm gonna hit the basic points of it i cannot hit everything we'll be here for fucking three hours yeah so uh, Nick and Laredo start out the match, uh, get some beautiful high flying Lucha Libre offense. All six men then enter the ring, and the elite eat uh, two super kicks and a drop kick at the same time, um, and then they eat some over the top offense. Matt gets rocked by another double super kick and uh, gets put. Oh, no, sorry. It's. So Laredo Kid is around or behind Matt Jackson, and the Lucha Brothers hit him with dual super kicks. And as he's falling backwards, Laredo Kid jumps up and grabs him into Dragon Karana. It was seamless and so beautiful and so great. I've never seen Laredo Kid before this match, and he was pretty amazing. Uh, Matt then gets a variety of Northern Light suplexes, including a double one to both Phoenix and Pentagon. Uh, We get a lot of Triple team moves from the Elite onto Laredo Kid, but then he gets the hot tag, and uh, Pentagon takes out all members of the Elite. The hits a fast as fuck middle rope top or uh, Suicida onto his opponents, and there is a top rope Spanish fly and a Canadian destroyer at the same time. Two moves I just will never understand how people pull off, because they are just seamlessly amazing. And then we get a Super Kick Party, as we get more super kicks than I would like to count at the moment from all members of each team. It is amazing. But the elite counter since they're dressed as Street Fighter characters, with Hadugans, and if you don't know what Hadugan is, it's a flying projectile attack that doesn't make sense in real life, but in the video game it makes sense, and it was really funny to see that they're adding some comedy into the match. Uh, that's then soon followed up by a triple Liger Bomb, and all of these things happen at the same time, so it's like triple super kicks, Hadugans, Liger Bombs, it's craziness. Uh, we get many springboard cutters and dives, uh, Nick Jackson almost eats shit as he hops to the top ropes and his legs wobble, but luckily he's saved by Ray Phoenix, and we get some nice uh, offense to the outside. Laredo then eats a massive V-trigger and a Tiger Bomb for two, but Kenny ends the match by picking him up in the unkick-outable one-wing angel, and the Elite are your winners. So, Olivia, before we get to what you think, how many super kicks are in the six-man tag match?
0: and are we just counting
1: no we're counting everyone's super Everyone. kicks so not okay. just the not just the elite i'm going to
0: guess 13
1: again you were so close it was damn 14 it. super kicks damn it which is a record for super kicks in a single match i think so yeah so they super
0: close though there was a
1: the super kick party part. there was eight super kicks in a row <laughs> Love that. Yes. So, Olivia, what do we think of this six-man tag match? I
0: loved this match. I loved the... Just... I I don't know. I Let me just start out by saying that, like, three-on-three matches, like, aren't my favorite just because I feel like they're always just so awkward. Like, there's always, like, those, like... Three or four like main people in the match do like a really good job, and then there's always like those like one or two that kind of float on the outside the entire time, like don't get super involved in the match, and it can tend to feel very predetermined, pre-planned, and therefore just kind of awkward. But this was just this match was off the fucking chain. <laughs> I loved this. Um, I, I there were there were a lot of everyone spots mm-hmm. in this match. But again it wasn't done in like a stupid way like i feel like the you know they i feel like a lot of everyone's spots tend to feel very predictable um but in this match it just it it made a lot of sense um so i definitely commend them for that i thought that you know the wardrobe was fun and i think that the lucha brothers are just great you know competitors great counterparts um to the elite and so i thought that this was like really awesome Um, this is, I think, my first time seeing Laredo Kid wrestle, so that's, like, a fun new name that I've not been, that I'm not familiar with. Um, but other than that, I have to give this a 4.5 out of 5. This was a super intense match, and honestly, the best three-on-three I've seen in a long time.
1: I gave it the same grade. Wonderful. Uh, 4.5 out of 5. Some small botches, mostly from Nick Jackson, that I noticed, um... So that has to knock it down, of course, because I can't... Right.
0: It's not perfect.
1: Right. Exactly. It's not perfect. Um, Even if it... Even if he didn't fuck up a, a couple moves, I'd still probably want to give it a five. But a lot of fun here. Laredo Kid looked awesome in this match. Yeah. I'm used to the other five. I've seen them wrestle a bunch. This kid was amazing, and he held yeah. his own, and it kind of sucked he had to eat the pin- pinfall. I feel like Pentagon or Great Phoenix could have eaten it, and it would have been, would have been fine, but... Yeah, super, super cool match, um, super fun, and the outfits were just top-notch. I love... You know who was great at um, video game-inspired outfits was Zelina Vega. Yeah. Or um, Tria Trinidad, as she's known now, since she doesn't work for WWE anymore. But um, she always had the... She had, like, a Sindel Mortal Kombat one at the Royal Rumble. Um, She was really cool with that.
0: Definitely.
1: So, as I've also got to do, since I'm reading the Young Bucks book, in these eight or so pay-per-views of us catching up on All Elite Wrestling, I'm going to share a little fun fact about the Young Bucks. And since they grew up in Southern California, as I did, I mentioned last week I had probably seen them wrestle at the Anaheim supermarket without really knowing. This week, I'm going to talk about the fact that since they're from Southern California, I'm from Southern California, I went to WrestleMania 21. I found out while reading their book that they went to WrestleMania 21. So in some weird quasi kind of way... I attended WrestleMania with the Young Bucks.
0: Yeah. And I
1: think that's cool. So, (laughs) if you find that cool, let me know. If you just think I'm pandering to because I'm a big fan of these guys, that's also very true. Uh, So, tune in next week when I cover another fun fact about the Young Bucks book known as Killing the Business. But anyway, you guys should pay me. If you guys are listening, Matt Jackson, you liked my picture on Instagram once. You're listening. I drunkenly asked Tony Khan for a job when you guys were here, so maybe, you know, you could give give us a job? I don't know. It's beside the point. We'd have to stop our podcast if we got a job from Ada, yeah. which I think <laughs> might be worth it, but beside the point. So we cut to the announce team again, and they announced the pay-per-view is over, and I'm like, wait a second. What?
0: But is it, though? But
1: it's not. Because then we cut to Justin Roberts, who says, uh, Fyter Fest, the pay-per-view is officially over. But the lights are going to go out. And once they come back on, there will be a non-sanctioned match. Which nowadays doesn't work so much anymore like it did in the 80s. Because, one, we're smart enough to know that the match is obviously sanctioned. And, B, if it was non-sanctioned, they would just, like, kick everyone out and not let it happen.
0: Well, (laughs) I kind of made the point as we were watching it. I was like... It's unsanctioned, but we're still going to have the commentary team cover it. Right, if it was and non-sanctioned... We're still going to ring the bell and, like...
1: Yeah, if it was a non-sanctioned match, the commentary team wouldn't be there. Yeah. Like, just get rid of them. You
0: tell me how that makes sense. Right,
1: and there would be no referee, but how did someone win? Whatever, beside exactly. the point. But anyways... So we get the non-sanctioned lights-out match between Joey Janella, the bad boy Joey Janela, and uh, John Moxley, who uh, they... So the story behind this match is, back before John Moxley signed with WWE... Um, in the late aughts and the early teens, he was known as the new up and coming king of the death match. So someone who was in very violent and very gory and very painful matches. Well, he signed with WWE and <laughs> they're not going to let anything like that happen. So Joey Janela was a new up and comer at the time and he took over sort of the, the new king of the death match thing. So now that John Moxley is no longer PG Dean Ambrose, he's rated R Moxley. He's got a beef to pick with Joey Janela. So we get a very violent match here. But like we said, kind of a safe violent match. Yeah. So.
0: Very protected, I would say.
1: Yes. Uh, there is an abundance of strikes to start off the match. So in any street fight or no DQ match, they really don't focus on wrestling moves. They focus on weapon attacks and punches and kicks and that sort of thing. So you're not going to hear a lot of headlocks and wrist locks in this match. Uh, Janela then grabs a prosthetic lathe from a fan <laughs> sitting ringside, and we got a good giggle out of that, and he hits Moxley with it, and he actually hit him so hard in the face that it busted open Moxley's yeah. eye, so, <laughs> Jesus, okay, um, going back to the old ECW days there. Were you sports entertained by this? I needed to know. Oh, so
0: sports entertained. I just thought it was so funny that, like, it almost seemed not pre-planned. Like, it was almost just, like, at the spur of the moment. Because they were set... I, I feel like it was not pre-planned because they were setting up to do something else. Yeah, there was tables like, or something. Table yeah, a table in front of them. Like, they were getting ready to do something else. But then Joey Janela kind of has this moment where he's like, oh, I'm going to take this. Like, this, like, guy is, like, putting his prosthetic leg out in front of me. Like, I got to take it and I got to use it. And so he does. And, of course, he hands it back to the guy, which, I mean, if I was that guy, I'd be like... You know, whatever happened to my leg, this moment makes it so worth it. I'll get worth. another
1: one. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. This moment makes it so worth it.
1: And he's got John Moxley's and, blood on it now, yeah. so and that's so it's just cool. like
0: super funny and like, you know, there's so many ridiculous things that happen in wrestling and so many ridiculous things that they use as weapons. And I think that's the first time I've ever seen a prosthetic leg used as a weapon in wrestling.
1: <laughs> I hate to I hate to break it to you, but we will see that in WWE oh my more God. than once. More than once. <laughs> So, I love that. Yeah, we'll get there eventually, of course.
0: I'm not a, I'm not a prosthetic leg weapon hater, though. Yeah, I think it's hilarious. It's it's
1: good times. Uh, we get back in the ring. Janella sets Moxley up on a chair, and we get the first very painful part of this match where he goes for a top rope senton onto a Moxley, who's sitting on the chair. Moxley moves, and Janella just back first into a seated chair, which <sighs> cannot feel good.
0: Destroys it.
1: Yes. Uh, Moxley then grabs a barbed wire chair from under the... Uh, under the ring and the crowd starts a you sick fuck chant which is a first on this podcast and Moxley bows and then goes to hit Janella with it but he misses and Janella then starts to hit him with the barbed wire chair and this entire match you're wincing over to my right which was fun because these matches like I said are pretty horrific Uh, not to be outdone Moxley then pulls out a barbed wire wrapped board which is like a mini table and he goes to throw Janelle into it, but again, Janelle reverses it and Moxley goes headfirst into the barbed wire board and he's stuck in it for a good 30 seconds trying to unpin his arm and his pants from this barbed wire. If it sounds gross, I promise you guys it, it is. is. Uh, tables then get set up on the outside. Uh, Janelle hits a pair of super kicks and follows that up with pulling a ladder out from under the ring, sets Moxley on the tables on the outside, puts the ladder in the ring. Climbs the ladder, so he's fucking 20 feet in the air, give or take, and hits a picture-perfect diving elbow into Moxley through one of the tables, not the second one. second one didn't break. And while this is probably the least hardcore part of the match, in theory, my heart was racing because I'm scared of heights, and that takes some balls to jump from a ladder that high. Um, we then get another barbed wire board, this time brought out by Georgianella. It's wedged between the ring apron and the uh, partisan for the crowd. But Moxley dumps Janella through it, which pretty much takes him out of commission for the rest of the match as he crawls back into the ring. Moxley goes under the ring one last time and pulls out a bucket. And everyone's like, a bucket. But then he reaches into the bucket and pulls out a bag. And Olivia, what is in the bag? Thumbtacks. Thumbtacks. Spreads the thumbtacks on the floor, proceeds to knee Janella in the face, and then. I you, And the people listening at home. He rips off Joey Janela's shoes. And what he does is he backdrops Joey Janela onto the thumbtacks. And then Atomic drops him, which is when you lift opponent up, you're behind the opponent, you lift him up, and then you just drop him on his feet. So he goes feet first into these thumbtacks, which could not feel good in any... You look like you're crying uh, for a second. Almost, <laughs> like... Moxley then, thankfully, ends the match by rocking a paradigm shift. But not just a regular paradigm shift. Naturally, he has to do it on the thumbtacks. On the thumbtacks. Which, if you think of it, is stupid, because it's a DDT in theory. So Moxley's also dropping his back in the thumbtacks.
0: Yeah. He gets absolutely pin-cushioned by all these thumbtacks. Yeah. Janela gets absolutely obliterated <laughs> and pin-cushioned by these thumbtacks. He's like, screaming. It's not a good time for anybody.
1: Yeah, he is screaming, and it sounds horrific like yeah. someone getting murdered yeah uh moxley gets the three count of course after the paradigm shift thank god and then when the show is about to end kenny omega exacts his revenge and comes out and starts to beat the ever-loving crap out of john moxley he takes him to the ring or to the uh stage where i forgot to mention there was a fake band set up with like guitars microphones and drums because they were supposed to have live music a whole Firefest joke takes an electric guitar and smacks it over John Moxley's back now we've seen guitar attacks before with acoustics they're hollow they hollow them out it's not gonna hurt that bad but an electric guitar <sighs> ow
0: <laughs> there's no break in that really yes um
1: especially Omega,
0: over somebody's back <laughs> I
1: know Omega then leaves uh, he also hits John Moxley in the head with drumsticks and I'm a drummer and I've been hit with drumsticks and that fucking hurts let me tell you Omega then leaves. Moxley's being helped up the ramp, but Omega's not done, and he runs out again and just cracks Moxley in the face with a trash can and then suplexes him on the announce or onto the entrance ramp. The show ends with a paint but laughing John Moxley, uh, as he is really happy. Kenny Omega exacted some revenge. He got his pound of flesh. So Olivia, what do we think of the lights out match? I am so excited.
0: Okay, I I, I said earlier that I was going to sound hypocritical, and it's because I'm really about to. Uh, I love this. Really? I, <laughs> you know what? I'm just going to say I'm a big old simp pants for John Moxley. I think he can literally do no wrong. <laughs> I love the way he's been able to develop his character coming into AEW, where, you know, it's one of those things where sometimes when people go to different wrestling programs, they completely um a, you know abandon um the previous character that they held on the previous program that they were part of but i feel as though like you said it was the, uh, you get you go from the you know the pg version to the rated r version um you know kind of two sides of the same coin and i really don't mind it i love it and i love that he's been able to sort of capitalize on that similar character to really pull in people who had watched him on wwe uh, to then you know be huge fan, huge Moxley fans, and I think that a lot of the complaints that fans had about the Dean Ambrose character um, are really kind of washed away and obliterated by this Moxley character. So I love it. Um, there were so many insane spots in this match that I can't even I can't even begin to explain because we'd be here all night. What was your favorite um, one? Even though the thumbtacks, the thumbtack spots put my anxiety on like a thousand and made my chest hurt the ladder table spot where um it was like the two tables and then Joey Janela literally ascends on the ladder and then jumps off the top like I would never be able to do that like in a million years like I would get all the way up to the top of the ladder and like look down and be like fuck that as
1: someone who used to backyard wrestle and has fallen off a ladder while trying to jump off one (laughs) it's very scary (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah. And so, um, you know, I've never had such, it's been a long time, I think in, you know, in retrospect, when I go back and watch old pay-per-views, um, from the, the Attitude era and see super brutal stuff like this, I'm like, damn, that's really gross. And I hate it, but I also love it. Um, I kind of get the same reaction from this match, which I totally love. It's like kind of weirdly nostalgic in a way, which I like, um, so again, it's going to make me sound super hypocritical because I hated the chair spot with Cody and Sean, um, but I really loved this match for whatever reason. So for that, I gave it, I gave it a four out of five. It was super gross and super brutal, but so entertaining. Yeah.
1: I also gave it a four out of five, um, just because it's unnecessary, but it's also kind of not. And here's why I say that. So George Janela, most people aren't familiar with, and he came out looking like a total badass here, very tough, yeah, um, but the most important thing is John Moxley got to he got to recoup seven ish years of lost time, and not yeah. saying I didn't enjoy Dean Ambrose because I very much enjoyed Dean Ambrose, but again, it was p g of what this guy can do, and he got to do what he wanted to always do things Brock Lesnar told him you couldn't do to me. Um, which if Brock Lesnar is the toughest guy on the planet as he claims, take a fucking thumbtack to the back, yeah. dude. It probably won't hurt you with all that I mean, muscle. You probably can't even feel it. Right, but he got to really come out and be like, this was the dude that I wanted to be all along. This was the dude I was before WWE, and I think that's great. And he had a phenomenal twenty nineteen. If I were to say who was the wrestler of twenty nineteen, like I did twenty twenty, it's John Moxley. Yeah. So, I gave it a four out of five as well, and I love seeing Kenny Omega come out and beat the crap out of him. Because that's good stuff. Yeah. So, and the fact that Moxley was laughing after he got the cup (laughs) kicked out of him was even better.
0: Like, he is so insane, but it works so well.
1: Yes. The thumbtacks to the feet, though, is something I've never seen before. And good God, something I hope to never see again. Yeah. The back hurts. I've stupidly backyard wrestled. I mean, a lot of people my age who love wrestling have. That's how, I'm going to let people know, that's one, how Mick Foley got famous. That's how the Hardy Boys got famous, and that's how the Young Bucks got famous. So when people are like, oh, you better wrestle, that's stupid. That's how some of your favorite wrestlers yeah. got famous, just so you know. <laughs> and it is stupid. It's very dumb. And I landed back first on thumbtacks once, and it hurts. I could not imagine your feet, because your back is a strong part of your body. Your feet are very tender.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of like nerve endings in yeah. your feet.
1: Like even the forehead which is like what the DDT happened on that's probably manageable yes. but your feet your feet and your yeah. hands mm-hmm. has to hurt so bad so props to Joey Janella because ow yeah so ow. Um, ow indeed yeah fun pay-per-view i enjoyed it but olivia what did you think of AEW's Fighter Fest 2019
0: i thought it was awesome i gave it a 4 out of 5 just because i felt like it was another really really strong pay-per-view mm-hmm. Um, You know, you mentioned earlier that there were a few hiccups, a few missteps, a few botches. um, But to be honest with you, when it's something that I feel like I can't really notice, like I did notice a couple of missteps, but I think that there's definitely a differentiation between a few tumbles and a few missteps versus complete and total botches, which I feel like there were very far and few (laughs) between. And for what they lacked in absolute perfection, they totally made up for in entertainment and, you know, brutalness uh and so for that i love this pay-per-view
1: okay and uh i usually ask these two first i don't know why i did it last this time but match of the night and performer of the night don't forget performer of the night this time Yeah, absolutely so
0: (laughs) i actually went ahead and typed these out so i was prepared this week um my match of the night i think it's pretty obvious has to go to the elite versus blucher brothers and laredo kid uh i just love this match that was super entertaining and I just feel as though great three on three matches are just really hard to come by. Mm-hmm. So and my performer of the night obviously has to go to um and not obviously this might be surprising to you, uh, but Kenny Omega. I love him and I thought he looked super strong in that three on three match, but then also I loved uh his little appearance at the end. Um, to... S- still dressed as a Kuma. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so for that, I just think that he's he's got to be my performer of the night.
1: All right. Um, my match of the night would have gone to Cody Rhodes and Darby Allen, had the sean Spears chair shot not happened. As I mentioned, that ruins the presentation of it. Right. So I also gave it to the Elite um, versus uh, the Lucha Brothers and Laredo Kid. I thought that match was great. The super kicks though did give me a little bit of an aneurysm, but <laughs> good god! There were man. many
0: damns that were said.
1: Yes, yeah, I was like, fuck, himself. fuck, 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 which I think is hilarious. Um, however, my performer of the Night does still go to Darby Allen. This was a coming out party for the dude. I totally. I struggled between him and Laredo Kid, but I gave it to Darby Allen because I think, in retrospect, he has gone on to be more noticeable and more around. He's the current TNT champion, so. Got to give it to him. He looked great here. He did not quit, and he took Cody Rhodes to a time limit draw, and that's great. So good for him. Uh, My attire of the night for the second week in a row is going to... Well, I have to ask you first. So we mentioned earlier on, if it's a tag team, you can give it to two people, right? So obviously the New Day have won it before, the Undisputed Era have won it before, can I give it to all of the Elite, which means all oh, three totally. since they're it's like a, teaming? It's like
0: a little collaboration. They're all on the same... It would be different if they were all kind of wearing different outfits, but because they're wearing outfits of the same theme, right? I think it's acceptable.
1: Okay, cool. So I gave it to all three members of the Elite. The Ryu Ken and Akuma attire was awesome, and I was a big fan of that, and very excited to see that. For, so for the second week in a row, the Young Bucks have won this award. Huh. I kind of want to see if every time we go back on one of these that the Young Bucks end up winning it. They might. I just want to let you guys know, they might. Uh, final grade, 4 out of 5, for the same reasons you said. I mean, Wonderful. the missteps were noticeable, but they weren't detrimental. Uh, I thought I was going to go in really hating the Lights Out match, because I remember not liking it the first time, but, man, it was entertaining. So, and everything else here was good, and i got to give it to MJF on that promo. That is sticking with me. It's probably one of the funniest promos I've heard.
0: And really strong, really convincing. It's yeah. really hard for me to watch wrestlers cut promos today especially in an ultra scripted wwe promo um and so i was just really impressed by mm-hmm. how articulate he is uh and especially how he's able to just like play off the crowd so well it's really hard to do that these days i agree and like i said with kayfabe and dead it's even harder and to be able to strike a nerve with true hardcore wrestling fans like that is a total testament in I agree.
1: And people are fantasizing, like, what would happen if it was like AEW versus WWE? You do your private party versus Street Profits, your your New Day versus Young Bucks. Man, that would be an amazing match. Yeah. Your Kenny Omega and Seth Rollins, another match. But I'm thinking with this MJF promo, MJF and Kevin Steen, or Kevin Owens, I don't know why I call him Kevin Steen, uh, would just be, one, the promo package would oh, be amazing, yeah. and the match would be great. That That's a match that I think would be an underrated gem. But anyway, we're done with Fighter Fest 2019. Yes, we we'll be back next week with Fight for the Fallen, which actually takes place two weeks later, which is kind of strange mm-hmm. for a new company. But Fight for the Fallen will be our next event we're covering of 2019. Two years later, naturally. Um, but Olivia, do you want to take us home?
0: Absolutely. Please go follow us on Instagram at That's Gotta Be Wrestling. That is our social media hub for the moment. Uh, we post really, really bad wrestling memes there, but also really funny at the same time. So the one you posted last week was hilarious.
1: Thank I just you. Much you know. appreciated.
0: Sometimes I work really hard on finding good memes. Sometimes I work really hard on making good memes. So uh, with that being said, I try really hard. So please go check that out. Also, please go give us a rating on Apple Podcasts that helps us out immensely and more than you could probably realize. The algorithm really loves it, so please go do that. Uh, whether you love us or you hate us, you know, let us know what we could change, what we're doing really good at. And other than that, if you're not a fan of Apple Podcasts, definitely listen to us on Spotify. Go give us a follow there so that you are notified every time we upload an episode Uh, With that being said, uh, if you want something really cool to put on your laptop, go buy our stickers on Redbubble. I worked really hard on that logo. It's very retro, very 80s, uh, and I think encapsulates our podcast. So, with that being said, Tommy, thank you so much for joining me again to talk about wrestling. I love doing this, and I hope that 2021 is a really, really strong year for our podcast.
1: Yeah, it. I think it will be. Like I said, we're catching up on AEW. We'll, of course, do current WWE and AEW pay-per-views as they go along. And then, I think by the time February, we're in the middle of February, we'll start hitting that 1980s nostalgia kick.
0: Which will be fun yeah. and interesting.
1: So, thanks for joining me, as always. And, like I said, I want to start going out on a... Uh, like a phrase that really encapsulate the show. So in respect to the elite, I want to go Hadoogan